And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. And I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means a few hours ago, I was at FedEx Field, not too far away from where Carson Wentz threw the ugh, interception that ended hopes and dreams for a Washington Commanders rally, picked off at the one-yard line by uh, Titans linebacker David Long, a really nice play by Long, and yet almost a felt like a predictable outcome for a Commanders team that continues to struggle four in a row. They have lost now, falling way back in the NFC East. I know that is not exactly a riveting, uh, hopeful start to a podcast, but we're going to try to break through and discuss everything that happened and where things go from here with Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan. He'll be joining me here in a few minutes uh, to discuss this game. Of course, before we get to all that, make sure you check out my recap over on The Athletic. Uh, David Aldridge will have a piece up there, uh, a column on Ron Rivera come morning. And, uh, you know, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your podcasting. Um, There's a lot to get into. Big picture, small picture. Small picture meaning what what happened in this game. But then there's the bigger picture stuff, of course, and like where things go from here. And I want to get into all that with Grant. And so, of course, Grant joins me now. Of course, you can hear. Grant's full-throated analysis to uh, Monday on 106.7 The Fan from 2 to 6.30, Monday through Friday with Danny Ruye, but he's going to give us his initial thoughts here. He actually, because he is a thorough thinker of this team, he just went back and rewatched the game, so I'm curious for that take as well. But Grant, uh, we were just in the press box together not too long ago, although, you know, I don't like the today's seating chart was not my favorite. It was I was like back i was way over to one side you were over to the other side so i really had no interaction with you throughout the game that's that uh, you know I, that was it meant more chris russell for me let, less grant paulson yeah and, and that's not good for anybody i kid because i care slash arini i kid because i care yeah it would have been nice to have a little bit of closer proximity to do some skits and some bits but uh didn't help the local 53 obviously ben uh, i thought defensively they played well enough to win I thought offensively they got some of the chunks and the explosive big plays that I've been looking for. You know, it's funny to say this because we'll go back over the, the final sequence, which was not pretty for Carson Wentz, but I thought he was much better by and large than he has been over the last two weeks, not coincidentally with more time to operate in the pocket. Uh, but it, they're one in four, man. You can't be one in four in your third year, if you're Ron Rivera and feel okay about that with the expectations coming into this season, uh, it's not pretty right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not. And the, the quote, a lot of interesting quotes post game today, a lot of interesting scenarios. The one I kind of used high in my story came from Jonathan Allen. He was asked, if he can take anything positive away from this game because some potential was shown, like you mentioned, the defense played a bit better. Uh, Deami Brown with the breakout game, two, two touchdown passes, uh, including a 75 yarder and yada, yada. And Allen responded, quote, potential is a word you use for someone who hasn't done anything. It doesn't matter how much potential we have unless we actually do something with it. End quote. And I, the reason I like that quote, was because it summed up not only this game, not only this season, but to some degree, the entirety of the Rod Rivera era. We have reached a point in which we can no longer continue to say, I'm not saying you and I have been doing this, but others, including the coach, we can't keep talking about what this team can do. 
at some point this has to just get done. And when you're a one and four and everybody else in your division is, is at least four and one. And by the way, Giants, new head coach, Eagles, a, a coach in what his second year. Uh, you know, you know, Mike McCarthy was hired same time as Rivera. Like these are, we, we can't keep making the excuse of, well, it's new. It's different. It's going to take time, which Rivera also said again today. That's why I like that quote, because the, the I, I'm overhearing anything about what could happen if things get yeah. going. It's got, it needs to happen already. You're, you're totally right. So big picture thinking about this whole thing. Um, I, I don't want to hear him say this isn't going to happen overnight again, which he said post game. He needs to have someone close to him tell him stop saying that. That's going to either get you in hot water or alienate some of your base or whatever. Because the fact is, that's pretty unacceptable to say that this is not going to happen overnight in your third year. You know, if you're a month in and people are down on you because you've lost some games, okay. If you're at the end of your first season and you're scuffling and it's it's not going the way it's supposed to, maybe even early in your second year, I, I might be able to workshop that. A quarter way plus of the of the way through your third season, to to go back to the well on the line, it's not going to happen overnight. You've had over a thousand nights at this point. I mean. So I'm good on that line, first and foremost. I also think there is just an irony to specific to Sunday. Just look at that game solely. Their biggest money commitment that they've made has been to Carson Wentz. And as of right now, it looks like that is blowing up in their face. Not to say that he was terrible in the game, but they're five games in. They've won one. There's a chance you could bench him in the next several weeks. It certainly doesn't look like you're committing to him over multiple years necessarily. That's not going well. On the defensive side of the ball, your second biggest commitment behind Wentz, William Jackson, and your time here financially got benched in this game. Now, I could keep going down the list. Their third biggest financial commitment so far as a staff, Curtis Samuel, has had a bounce back after doing nothing last year, and he's an integral part of the offense. But I would say that the compensation is not like – and the production are not equal still. I mean, it's not like he's going out there going nine catches for 123 yards every single week. Uh, Kendall Fuller is their fourth highest paid player, and this staff paid him and brought him in. He was much better in this game, but he's had a disappointing season. So no matter how you look at this, Ben, the record, the personnel decisions, in-game management, which we'll get to, I'm sure, I there aren't really passing grades anywhere, and there certainly aren't any A's or B's being given out. Yeah, no, it it's it's I mean, like this was a game like factoring in like what had happened in the previous three. This is their best game. This game was their best game overall since the opener. I mean, like you mentioned, the defense was relatively good. I mean, Derrick Henry got a little over 100 yards, but he averaged less than four yards to carry. The Titans passing game uh, had, I think, a net of like 136 yards. So they didn't do too much there. Washington's offensive line, a mess, obviously, in recent weeks, largely held up with one major <laughs> exception of one particular player. And Carson Wentz, you know, he threw for like 350-something yards. I mean, some of that is, you know, maybe a little misleading. But regardless, it did happen. Uh, two touchdowns to Deami Brown deep. Uh, that's the type of play you want from him. So there were, like, things where you can be like, well, that all seems reasonable. And I also Montez Sweat gets his first two sacks of the year. And yet at the same time, it was just meh across the board. Like nothing was particularly exciting. I mean, yes, sure. If Wentz and them score on the last drive, which we'll get to in a second, we'll probably have better things to say about the defense, how they, you know, you know, bent, but didn't break or whatever. But, you know, ultimately they still only generated one. They haven't generated more than the, the one turnover that Derek Forrest had in the interception in week one. They still don't have one, another turnover that's counted. And so, it, yeah, it's just incredibly frustrating. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i not frustrated. By the way, that was kind of on – it wasn't a Hail Mary, but like a prayer of a throw at the end of the game where it's kind of uh, Jesus take the wheel, see what happens, Trevor Lawrence just throwing it up for grabs. 
I mean, not to nitpick, but I guess that's what I'm doing. But Are you a big Carrie Underwood fan? I am. Um, my wife kind of uh, favors, I think, Carrie Underwood a little bit. I like to think so anyway. Um, sure. Having said that, yeah, th- not one takeaway. I-, I saw a stat. I think it was Paris of the Times. I don't remember who had this tonight. But two teams since 2000 – have generated fewer takeaways through five games than Washington this year. One of them ended up two and 14, by the way. I mean, it's crazy that they can't get any takeaways. I'm just talking about like one this month. Yeah. Uh, and the two that they got against Cooper Rush, obviously, there were penalties. So they gave Dallas automatic first downs. But I mean, if I was going to tell you, Ben, I came up to you on Friday and I'm like, look, just checked out the box score. Deami Brown's going to catch a 75-yard touchdown. He's going to catch a 30-yard score with one hand. Wentz is going to go for 359. They're going to largely protect him other than Andrew Norwell, struggling pretty uh, majorly in the second half. The defense is going to have five sacks and consistent pressure and hold the Titans to 21 points. I mean, you put a pretty sizable amount of money, they're going to win that football game, right? Yeah, and like I said, yeah, you, you hold Derrick Henry to under four yards of carry. Um, yeah, and look, e- even in the end, I mean, like, the fact that, like, they they got the ball first and goal at the two, 19 seconds left. Not a lock you're going to score. They need a touchdown. But it's like they didn't even, they had, and they ran three plays. They didn't even come close to scoring on any of those plays. And, like, that, that almost, to me, crystallized or symbolized just where this thing is it's like they 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 move the ball down the field even within that from their own 11 even within that criticisms along the way that we'll get to but you get the ball down there and then three pass plays that just looked were i don't know man like i don't know what the, i don't know what i want to see the all 22 because i don't understand what was happening there the the, the last two passes were jd mckissick basically at the goal line a five foot ten running back who's was a receiver but isn't a receiver now you know in that real sense why they threw to him in the second one gets picked off great play by david long their linebacker to but he bumps terry mclaurin on the crossing and then immediately jumps back to mckissick for the pick uh so kudos to him but even that because i don't even understand what the play calling was there yeah so we want to dive into this goal line stand here right right now so all right, let's just talk about the final 19 seconds because I still want to go back to the clock management before that at some point. But first and goal from the two-yard line, Vrabel, who's very active on the sideline, by the way. Like, you know, I, I kind of always wonder with Rivera. He he is kind of like the great overseer, right? Del Rio coaches the defense. Turner coaches the offense. Theoretically, his job is like clock management, challenges, you know, overseeing everything. Vrabel's obviously immensely involved. I mean, you could see him yelling and screaming and coaching and seemingly calling defensive plays or doing something. Uh, Having said that, he burns a timeout right before the first and goal from the two. So the first play, Bates was open in the back of the end zone for a split second, and Wentz doesn't pull the trigger. And I think in that situation, you really got to be sure because you don't want to throw a pick. As we would find out, he would do that. Uh, But... He has him for a split second, and then he is actually kind of the target, if you will. He's the closest guy on the lob to the back of the end zone. But go back and watch that play. I mean, that could have been picked. If the DB knew where he was in the back of the end zone, he can keep his feet in and kind of make a lunging catch out of the end zone. Like, you have to park that ball in the ninth row. I mean, that I was that was outrageous, that decision by Wentz. Right. I'm not sure how tall Christian Fulton is, the Titans' uh, defensive back there. But, like, if it was, say, Benjamin St. Juice, who's 6'3", and like you said, if he's aware of where he is, he could have possibly grabbed, reached up, grabbed it, and kept his feet in. Totally. The second and goal play... I didn't hate the idea to try to force it, you know, a million miles an hour into McKissick because he threw it so hard that I thought it was a really high percentage play to not be picked off, even though it ended up looking like it, it nearly was. Um, But on the second play, if you go back and watch that, you'll see that he's got Dax Milne on the backside of the formation 
come free there at the tail end. Now, again, I'll say it's really easy to play quarterback, you know, watching uh, the aerial view from behind and then replays and, and screen grabbing and, and posting pictures. But if he just hangs with the backside there in Milne, I mean, he's got pretty good um, pressure. Uh, excuse me, he's got pretty good protection and no pressure. Now, I know that they couldn't take a sack because for the same reason they couldn't run. They didn't have any timeouts. So maybe he's thinking, I, I can't hold the ball. I can't wait for Dax Mill and I got to get rid of it. And so he kind of burns it at to McKissick. I think on third and goal, his thinking was McLaurin on the slant. Because if you watch, Ben, they showed the replay from behind his head and he's got Terry on that slant and he's at him first. And then he kind of comes off him and goes to McKissick. But man, did he lock in on JD? And it was a hell of a play by the linebacker, but he completely telegraphed it. You know, he kind of gave a cursory look at Terry. He gets bumped and he immediately just like gets sucked in on McKissick and he throws to him. But to your point, you have three plays from the two yard line. You throw, if we're crediting Bates with a target on the first one, on the throwaway, basically Bates, McKissick, McKissick, no Curtis Samuel. 10 plus million bucks, no Terry McLaurin, massive contract. You know, where is your fade to Cole Turner? The whole reason you drafted him as a red zone threat. Where is your, your fade to cam Sims who makes leaping contested catches all the time. Like I thought it was pretty unimaginative. I have bigger issues than the play calling from Turner, but I would put those, I'd throw that on the heap. As far as I'm concerned, there was a lot of stuff in the middle of the field with a lot of bodies, a lot of congestion. Where is your bootleg? I mean, those are some of my gripes. What about you? Yeah. By the way, we should mention, so this is the first game this year. Scott Turner called plays from the booth, which is what he did his first two years. Then it was like he, he, they brought him down to the field to be closer to Wentz. He moved back. Rivera more or less said post game that uh, less distractions up in the booth uh, was the way I kind of interpreted what what he had to say about that. But whatever. Um, I don't think it was distracting Turner. Do you think uh, people were coming up and asking him like what he had for dinner the night before and what his favorite TV show is? And what did you think of House of the Dragon? What do you think it was all about? (laughs) <laughs> right it could be i mean uh, i'd like to whenever i see scott i like to give him grief about he's a big russell westbrook fan so maybe uh somebody still. was talking well wow. i don't know about still but like you know maybe somebody was asking him what does he think about the uh you know the lakers like what you know they're gonna trade westbrook i don't know um but yeah i, I don't know so i don't even know what like i have specific plays if I had issues with specific plays, I mean, like I said, I mean, not that this is enough, but, you know, they had the chance to win with 19 seconds left at the two and just didn't even get there. Now, the to the point from earlier, and this was a point you were making post-game with Rivera, and you're making it harder than I think I am, but that is to say, and, I, and you'll tell me where I'm, if I have it right or what I have wrong, in terms of the end of the game, Washington forces a punt, they get the ball back with uh, a little under five minutes to go. And there's not a ton of urgency with what's happening. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of just, you know, making the standard play like we're in the second quarter or something, you know, in terms of moving, you know, hurrying up and things like that. But then there was a sequence with about 38 seconds to go where Went throws the ball to Curtis Samuel and Samuel doesn't get out of bounds essentially and the clock keeps going so Rivera burns a timeout there uh I believe this was on second down okay then they run a play to McKissick it was a he catches the ball but it's still now third and short and instead of having another play ready to go they call another timeout now they're third and final timeout so while they did able to go from there and get the ball down to the two um, they were out of timeouts. They burned one earlier, which was my issue. We'll come back to in a second. But that was like basically your issue, right? Like because of that sequence where they had to burn two timeouts with just one play in between, that didn't give them hope to at the end be able to run the ball if they wanted to or, you know, take a sack you mentioned earlier or whatever. Was that my kind of stating all that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So my issue is just much larger that I think consistently they're terrible with clock management. I, I, at this point, I find it like completely confounding and I don't really get what I don't get, 
But yes, in the first half, let's just real, let me just say really quickly, they called a timeout. If you remember when the Titans had the ball in the red zone, and then they got a handful of yards to set up, a, I think a goal to go or whatever it was, or, or um, you know, they were a couple yards from the end zone and Rivera didn't call the timeout after that. So it was, he calls the timeout and you go, Oh, there's about a minute left in the half. He wants to get the ball back for his offense so they can go get a field goal or points or whatever. And then after the next play, he didn't call a timeout. He lets the play clock go all the way down. They run the play, they score. And so he would have had 47 seconds and a timeout left in the first half. Could that field goal have helped you? I mean, you see this every week, Ben, you watch the league, you cover the league. How often do you see a team with 47 seconds in a timeout? You're facing, you know, normally like a, a, a prevent type defense or teams are just trying not to let you behind them. Maybe they go too high and you can work the middle of the field and, you know, you throw in that 15 to 20 dig range. I mean, you're two completions. You have the whole middle of the field they're giving you at that point, protecting the sidelines. We see this all the time. So go get yourself a 50 yard field goal opportunity with Joey Sly. Maybe you kick a field goal there and all you need at the end of the game is a field goal. Now I, they just gave away 47 seconds essentially and an opportunity to go get points and i just don't understand why they do that so that was in the first half where they just decided that they didn't want the ball back to me it feels like you don't have confidence in your offense rivera after the game said that wasn't the case well it does just to just to tie the, yeah, that, point, that point because last week last week i was more incensed about the exact same scenario where totally. they get they get the ball back with decent time and they run the ball and then let like 30 seconds go off the clock and then like two plays later throw the ball deep it's an interception whatever it feels like i'm making a bad joke here but it feels like in these scenarios this is where the riverboat ron part should be coming into play and instead it's more like paddle boat ron like he's not he's he's, he's cutting the motor off he's willing to like sort of move up the field but he's not really going to put all the all the juice into it i think it is whether it's the line or the quarterback there's got to be some lack of trust here in those scenarios well you know you and i have talked about this a lot in the offseason less so during the year and here but you know how we always talk about like with the player movement or the decisions or the personnel or whatever that it almost is like lacking of a bigger picture vision or plan and it's it's yeah. kind of like willy-nilly like throwing things at the wall like oh we'll see what we do next play i mean that's what it's felt like to let all that time elapse against the cowboys now we're rushing now we're calling timeouts it's inconsistent, right? It, it's like going to, you know, saying that it, you're you're going to play Haskins, but then going to Kyle Allen and not calling your timeouts early in that season, but now we're going to win the division. I mean, everything is just kind of fly by night, it feels like. And it was that way in the first half where you, you call the timeout, then you don't call the timeout. And he said it was because they got yards. But again, you could have had almost a minute and a timeout. Like, well, end of conversation there. So, to your bigger point, though, the, the game was decided here in the fourth quarter, so let's go to that. The play was a, a play uh, throw to Curtis Samuel where he got run out of bounds going backwards. Because he's going backwards, the NFL rule, and I think most people know this, is that the clock does not stop. You have to be going forwards, going out of reaching out of bounds kind of horizontally. If you're going backwards as you cross the boundary, the clock keeps running. Rivera, the whole staff, they know this rule. Well, the referee fell down in the tackle basically being made at the sideline. And so Rivera said after the game that that cost them some time when Samuel went out of bounds. Here's the problem I have with that. It was 12 seconds that elapsed from when Curtis Samuel went out of bounds until they called the timeout. So if you're telling me that the ref fell down and that hurt your chance of getting it right away, that's fine. There's no way that it cost you 12 seconds if you were yelling the entire time that you wanted a timeout. They would have had to give you some time back. So first and foremost, with time at a premium, those 12 seconds I thought were, were costly. But then they do get the timeout. There's now, I believe it was 26, 36 seconds left in the game, 38 seconds, something like that. They had what I timed on my phone as a minute and 29 seconds in real life time during the timeout. During that minute and a half, those 90 seconds, I need you to call two plays. They were about to run a second and 16, I believe it was. So you tell me, Ben, is it likely that you're going to get 20 yards in a chunk there? Or are you probably in check down mode, taking what they're giving you four down territory? Are you probably just going to 
like get seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, right? You're probably going to be in third down, don't you think? So you would call two plays there. If you get the first down, you hurry to the line and spike it. Anything short of the sticks, though, unless you go out of bounds, to me, that is a no huddle, immediate go to the line of scrimmage, run the second play. So you call play 52 on the wristband and play 23 right after that. And I just don't understand why they didn't do that. And the result was they were short of the sticks. They called their last timeout with 27 seconds left. So now you have no timeouts left. If you get sacked, you're screwed. If you have a, a penalty in a 10-second runoff or whatever, you're screwed. If, if you get down to the goal line, you get tackled. You can't run the ball. You can't stop the clock. So you just can't burn your last time out there. That's what annoyed me. They should have had two plays, and they didn't. That's kind of all I got. That's my argument there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we can, we'll can we move on to some other stuff, but I do think all the totality of all this is... Look, I, I, I'm not putting this, on, this game on Carson Wentz, but at the same time, it does feel like they are having to nurse him through a lot of stuff and whether, and, and, you know, last week we questioned, does Carson Wentz have the ability to audible at the line of scrimmage this time? He apparently audibles on the second touchdown passes of De'Ami Brown and Rivera makes a point of mentioning that. And I almost feel like he made a point of mentioning that because we've been asking questions about whether or not Carson Wentz has the ability. And, and like, it's, just stuff like that um and then the actual actions on the field that you know in terms of like calling timeouts like that like it's almost like they're treating him like a guy who's like a rookie or a guy you know guys it's not they just don't have a lot of trust in him period right Right. let me get you on the record on this though because i've seen a lot of people debating this i personally think it's not a debate but i'm i'm 
I want to get your thoughts. Did you think they could have or should have run the ball down on the goal line? Um, I think you could have because of the fact that if you did it on like first or second, you could still spike the ball and still have time. Because we're at the two, you, you don't need much time. So I, I think the answer is you could have. Here's what I'm my kind of issue is. If you weren't going to run the ball, shouldn't you at least put Robinson or Gibson in the backfield to at least give the defense a look that you might? They had McKissick in there the whole time. They're not going to run the ball with him from the two in that situation. They have, you know, out of the gun for touchdowns, uh, not this season, obviously, but they have a bunch in the past. I mean, I, I get your point, and I would have. I would have had a deep back probably and gone under center and bootlegged or what have you. I think there is a chance they could have run it, gotten up and spiked it. I do, though, think that's a huge risk. I mean, can you imagine how Definitely much we risk. and everyone else would be killing Rivera? Because if you do that, right, we're talking about now running the football from two yards out. You're either running it from a deep back behind center, probably downhill. You're not going wide toward the sideline from two yards away. You're not running a toss out wide. So you're either running it out of the gun on inside zone or you're running it downhill from way back behind center and either of those options it's a pushing match in the middle of the field so if you don't get it ben you got 18 14 whatever it is bodies and laying on top of each other every one of those 330 pound dudes from the titans is going to be doing everything they can not to let you get up you know they're going to be knocking the ball around so i think it's very possible that they wouldn't have been able to get the ball spiked but let's say they did Best case scenario now, you got probably one more play. You know, that's going to take 10, 12, 13, 14 seconds to get everyone up, get your lineman set, get the ball spiked when they're trying to hold you down on the ground. Best case scenario, you get to run two plays if you run the ball. By not running the ball, you get three passing plays. So I, I just think the math worked there better. But if they had a timeout, which goes back to our last conversation, then they could have run the ball. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying I would have run it, but like the, they didn't even give the look that they would. And when you're trying to throw the ball that tight, you know, just you just need to get one of the linebackers to just yes. take one step towards the line of scrimmage and then maybe you have a little bit more room. Um, all right, let's get to some other things really quick before I let you go here. Um, you mentioned William Jackson. Uh, so end of the in the first quarter, there was a third and one play derrick henry runs the ball william jackson shoots through the line has a chance to get henry and i'm not realistically expecting william jackson to stop derrick henry but nonetheless he completely misses him and henry gets the first down three plays later they score their first touchdown uh william jackson i believe it was the next drive it was soon thereafter was not in the game they went with benjamin st juice on the outside and rashad wild goose in the slot and Jackson did not come back into the game. Uh, Rivera post game when asked, I can't remember, maybe you do. If he was asked, why was William Jackson benched? Whatever it was, he said, we made a decision. We, you know, and that's what we did. We spoke to Jackson in the locker room. He didn't say flat out that he was benched or not. He did say, though, that his back was acting up, the same back that was bothering him enough to not play against the Eagles. And he seemed to infer that he told the coaches, hey, this isn't going to be for me today. Like, I'm not, I can't help you. He said he's got a bulging disc in his back. Treatment doesn't really help. So that's a whole other issue down the line. But I guess um, whatever happened here, this is a huge deal because of what William Jackson represents from a contract standpoint, as you've said, not to mention that, you know, it is here's a here's a softball for you, Grant. The first year under Rivera, they had Kyle Smith and his team running the offseason. And since then, it's been Rivera's crew. The first year is when they really made strides with what they did in free agents in particular. And since then, it's been a struggle. William Jackson being an obvious uh, poster child for that. Yeah, He's their second highest paid player on the entire team this year against the cap quite literally second highest paid player against the cap on the club and he can bench them and he has been a weak link. He has been a problem. He has been one of the worst players in the outfit over the last couple of seasons. But by the way, just to be clear, I don't know where you are, but I assume I know where you are. Other than the fact that they have no depth at corner, something we've been screaming about the whole time, 
I didn't have any issue with it. I tweeted before the game that against Derrick Henry, it might make more sense to go with three safeties and then two corners with Benjamin say juice being the other corner. So the fact that they did that, I don't have an issue with, but that's also the point. The fact that we, <laughs> I didn't have an issue with it is not good when you're considering the, you know, the money he's getting paid. 100%. Yeah. I got no problem with it as well. I, I, the best they've looked defensively have been in the two games where he hasn't played that much. Uh, the one where he didn't play at all, I thought they covered pretty well. And Benjamin St. Juice had a fantastic game uh, specifically. And then today I thought they did a really good job aerially speaking, you know, against Ryan Tannehill and, you know, some Jag receivers for Tennessee. But uh, yeah, I just, it's really simple for me. They missed on William Jackson period. They paid him like one of the best cornerbacks in football. He has not played anything like one of the best cornerbacks in football at this point. Uh, and, you know, that that is a reoccurring theme. I mean, Ron Rivera had never been a general manager. He came here to run the entire show, and the results so far speak for themselves. And there are way more misses than hits right now. Um, Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew. I mean, these are not guys who were – you know, running front offices that were winning division titles, right? I mean, Mayhew was an assistant GM for a Lions team that never won a game. And uh, Herney hired Rivera and his buddies with, with Ron and was doing a radio show like this podcast before he got a phone call. So, I mean, that's cool, I guess. It gives Ben standing hope. But, yeah, man, I it's the results just from a personnel standpoint have, have not been good. Well, and then to that end, the big, the most egregious issue in the second half with the offense beyond what happened in the final three plays was the performance of Andrew Norwell from the late third quarter into the fourth in the, in not in a matter of like, I don't know, 15 real minutes. He had, he allowed two sacks and had two penalties called against him. And this was a game in which, you know, Sadiq Charles gets a start at right guard because the, the other guard that Rivera brought in, along with Norwell, Trey Turner, got benched last week. Uh, and Norwell, I think we're, you know, at this point, I think we're all thinking, when's he getting benched? Of course, the problem is, one, they're running out of bodies. But two, like, forget the benching. They brought him in, and they brought in Turner. I, I keep using this line that they didn't moneyball the situation. It's not like they did a big target search. They just, we know these two guys will bring them in. And they have been completely inadequate. I'm not saying Norwell has been a mess every game, but it was egregious today how poor he looked. And it wasn't the first time where he's had some pretty big, pretty big whiffs. And uh, that really hurt them. And, you know, I guess on some level, Grant, we can talk about all of these problems. And the real issue I have for most of them is I don't know what the fixes are. Other than just the notion of playing better there. I don't really know where you're turning. They don't they don't have much depth across the board ironically one place they have a lot of depth at receiver showed up today because De'Ami Brown um, easily his best game ever his first two yeah. touchdowns of his well, career I, but that's an important point right Ben so remember too I think you may have said this but the other guard that they signed and, and to start is Trey Turner who's already been benched um, so you know it was Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell those were the two guys they brought in and Turner is on the bench already and, you know, as you said, if they had another option, they don't, you know, I would think Norwell would probably be on the bench. I mean, they did almost nothing all off season other than Wentz and the couple moves they made that they feel good about seem to backfire on them so far. But to your point on the wide receivers, isn't it weird that the two areas on this team that we felt really good about were awesome. You know, their defensive line theoretically should be outstanding. Montez Sweat kicked ass, I thought. He was great. He had two sacks. Hadn't had one all year. He had three TFLs. He had four quarterback hits. Thought he was really good. Jonathan Allen was super impactful, as he has been most of the season. He's played at a high level. Uh, he had two tackles and a half sack and um, the two quarterback hits. I thought James Smith-Williams had probably his best game uh, as a commander. Um, he statistically showed up. I mean, he had four tackles, a sack. By the way, it was a huge sack to knock the Titans out of field goal range. Terrible play by Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. But he had a TFL and four quarterback hits. I mean, he was really good. So their D-line, check. And then their wide receivers, where they've got all that depth, where we feel really good about them. Like, 
You know, John Dotson can't play this week, so Deami Brown steps in, and lo and behold, by God, it's Deami Brown's music. I mean, he he has the seventy-five <laughs> yard touchdown, and he makes a one-handed freaking touchdown catch, like he's Stephon Diggs. Where is this guy coming from? So yeah, man, they built those positions really well, and those positions performed. But the, the problem is, like, as good as they are and as talented as they are at those spots, there aren't enough spots like that on the roster right now. So I don't have answers either. You know, I think that's what's kind of frustrating is, to your point, like, I don't know that they're going to scheme their way out of this. I don't know that they're going to adjust their way out of this. Like, their only hope is, as you said, that guys just kind of reach their ceiling. And that's on coaching. That's on I guess to some extent conceptualizing and scheming, but it's ugly, man. I mean, the, the, the good thing for them is that the bears are pretty terrible also, and they get a chance to get a win on Thursday. But if you lose that game going into a mini buy, Oh boy. Right. Well, I wanted to bring that up. So, and just as a reminder, not that people don't remember this, but in terms of the bigger picture thing of like the roster building, the three defensive linemen, the best three right now that are playing Montez sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, all inherited by this group. So even though that's the best unit, certainly on defense, you know, I'm not saying they get no credit because they have to coach them up and all that, but like, you know, they didn't pick those guys. But yeah, lastly, with the Bears, Thursday night game, the Bears also lost today to to the Vikings. Uh, We'll definitely, (laughs) a lot of people will be lamenting having to watch this matchup. But from the Washington perspective, they're one in four right now. They are tied for the worst record in the NFL uh, with a with a handful of other teams, uh, they are, I believe, a one point favorite. Washington is right now uh, going into this game. But if they were to lose, I mean, there are already people out there who want you know heads to roll now. If they lose that game, what do you think happens? Do you think there's any world that a massive change happens in some capacity, whatever you however you want to define that, or is this thing just kind of kind of roll for a while, no matter what? Yeah, so so I guess that's the big question is what is a massive change? Because like I would have told you a month ago, it would have made a lot of sense if Jack Del Rio in the final year of his contract were, were to be out at, at that point. Their defense played well enough to win again today. Their defense has had three straight pretty respectable or better games. Their defense is no longer their worst unit. So you're not make you're not blowing him out. That would make no sense. Um, Scott Turner got an extension this offseason. Kind of Rivera tried and true, brought him over with him from Carolina. I don't think he's going anywhere. So now what are we talking about? If you're not moving on from a coordinator, you're you're not blowing out a position coach midway through a season, I don't think. So then it would have to be on the field. Would they make a quarterback change? I doubt it. So I think you're just rearranging deck chairs, frankly. I mean, to me, is there something else you would consider major other than coordinators or quarterback? Well, it would be if the owner said to Ron Rivera, you're out. Now, I don't think that's happening, but that would be the only other thing that would quantify. Like, benching William Jackson is probably the thing they could do the most that wasn't those other things that we're discussing. And almost nobody's going to really care about that one. It's ultimately to make something really happen or get people's attention. It's got to be one of the ones that you've just mentioned. Uh, I don't, the, the quarterback thing, like I said, I'm not really putting a lot of this on Wentz. And also, like, even if we get to the point where Ron Rivera has to start thinking about job preservation, arguably his best path is to figure out a way to get Carson Wentz consistent, more consistent over the second half of the year. And then if he can do that, he can sell the notion of, well, look, it just took a little bit of time, new system, blah, blah, blah. But now that he got rolling at the end of the year, we can't wait to see next year, right? That's like the probably his best path. So I don't see the benching of, of Wentz. Maybe there's a, you know, we get the five games left. If they're really out of it, you, you turn to Sam Howe and pray he looks reasonable. Then you can go with the, we have to develop him kind of bit, but that's a, a probably a longer shot. So I don't see the point in benching Wentz um, anytime soon. I don't either. And I don't think they would. I will say though, let's say he has, because I thought today was much better for the record. Um, but let's say he has two really bad games in a row, including in prime time against the Bears or something like that. And you're one and six at that point. I think if you're Rivera, you're better way forward in terms of trying to save your job. You call it preservation mode, I think. 
is not to try to fix Wentz. At that point, Wentz is broken and everybody knows it. Again, hypothetically, he's had two bad games and you're one and six. I think your savior job mode is to go to Sam Howell right then and there. And to hope that Howell shows something or that people can talk themselves into maybe him being the guy, right? Where he, you know, let's face it. There were still people at the end of last season as mediocre or worse as Taylor Heineke was that, you know, were, were in and thought he was fun to watch. I mean, he has the Heineke vibe of running around and making plays. This guy ran for a hundred yards in seven games last year. Like he can scramble and do some of that fun stuff to watch. And he's got a bigger arm than Taylor Heineke. So I, I think he, he might be like a rich man's Heineke, but long story short, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I certainly wouldn't do it, but I think if Rivera gets to a point where he either perceives or has some meeting with Dan, where he feels like he's in jeopardy of losing his job and two, three games from now they keep losing and, and they're just not making plays at the quarterback position. I think the better play for him is not hanging with Wentz. I think it's going to Hal. Now, if Hal plays poorly, it's over and, and you're done. But if he plays okay, then maybe you can say that one of the front office guys chose to go get Wentz and that you weren't on board. And then you can say, Hal's your guy. And yeah, you can yeah. say, no, you, can, yeah, you, you can sell stuff. By the way, if, if, the, if it is the Hal route, I would try to make it as little, ex, expose him as little as possible. I, I wouldn't give him like eight games. Because realistically, even if he comes out and plays fine the first couple, the defense will probably adjust and things will start going downhill. I would rather it be like four to five games at the end and hope what I, you know he comes out strong or whatever. And that we I would I would want him to expose him as little as possible because realistically, you know, rookie quarterbacks are not gonna you know kill it out there. I totally agree. And, and again, I mean, we're we're now kind of like tinfoil hat throwing 100. things against the. <laughs> 100%. What's more likely is either they beat Chicago or Wentz plays okay enough that you know he's still starting, he's still playing, and and they kind of play out the string. I mean, there, there's also an argument to be made that you know he's tied to Wentz, and if he moves on from Wentz, then you know then he should pay the price then and there because they gave up the three and potentially a two, depending on how many snaps he plays. Although that's another thing to consider, right? For probably another podcast, but. If you're eliminated, if you're Ron Rivera, it would probably be malpractice to allow that draft pick to become a second rounder by just continuing to run Wentz out there. Yeah, but no, that's a that's a that's a very good point for sure. We're several weeks away from having to consider that, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, uh, Grant. Anything we need to know about the the big the big uh, show Monday to Friday, two to six thirty this week? I, I know you. Uh, Maybe they don't have all your ducks in a row, but uh, anything we should be keeping an eye on? Well, uh, I think it should be a good time in that we don't have to stew on this one very long. We get to start looking ahead to the Chicago Bears, a little Thursday night football in prime time. Uh, so, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, it's frustrating. It's difficult to, to watch. But, you know, I'm excited to see that, A, the defense is kind of rounded into form. I like that there was some urgency shown in the benching of a struggling player. And uh, it was cool that Deami Brown made a couple plays. I kind of thought coming into the year, the role for him would be, you know, Aldrick Robinson from 2012 hitting home runs down the field with his speed. And that's how they used him today. So that was good to see. Uh, very good. Uh, at Grant H. Paulson on Twitter. I'm at Ben Standig. You can read my stuff on The Athletic. Uh, Grant, appreciate the time and the insight. And, uh, you know, next game at home, we'll have to figure out how to uh, sit closer to each other, uh, you know, for uh, for for the bits, because uh, today was a little light on the bits for me, let alone light on the winning. Yeah, well, that's been the case quite a bit for a while. <laughs> I can't help you there. All right, man. Appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. See you, bro. Hey, before I sign off, one last thing. I don't think we we didn't really discuss the Brian Robinson situation enough at all and that's on me uh, but i do of course want to mention that because you know at the end of the day there are times when there's outside events much bigger than the result itself and brian robinson playing football today certainly was one of those deals it was i believe six weeks to the day i heard um to the day that he was shot twice uh attacked by um in an apparent uh 
uh, robbery, assault. We obviously at this point, we've talked about it a bunch, but today was the culmination of his recovery, being able to play. Um, you know, his, his first run play of the game for him, he had an eight-yard run. Unfortunately, it got uh, taken back because of a penalty. Um, but in general, uh, Brian Robinson looked good. He looked uh, crisp. I mean, we'll see what the game tape shows to a degree. He finished nine carries, 22 yards. Washington only averaged two and a half yards a game on the ground, or two and a half yards on the on the ground regardless of not a, not a day for the running attack but that's of course not really the point him being out there was was the point they they he wasn't with the starters but they brought him out last during the pregame ceremony he ran you know through the uh, the line there of uh you know with the cheerleaders and others uh, you know uh creating a a, a a lane for the players to run through he went through last great applause from the crowd um, you know, w- w- what a great moment. It's a bummer that he, it couldn't work out for the win. And, and you know, you wonder if they had even one time out, is it possible that Brian Robinson gets the call um, in there? And what a way that would have been to, to get the game winning touchdown in your first game back. But alas, that very book uh, story did not happen. But that he was able to come back at all is a huge deal. Um, you know, it's interesting from just the football perspective. He had nine of Washington's 17 carries. Antonio Gibson only with three. J.D. McKissick didn't have one. So, you know, in the first game back, Brian Robinson was the guy getting the the heavier workload. So I think that's a, something to consider moving forward. But nonetheless, um, you know, the more important part is that he was able to get back out there at all. All right. Uh, more to come this week. Again, the Bears... They travel to Chicago to play the Bears on Thursday. We'll be back out at the park Monday and Tuesday, then day off Wednesday, game Thursday. So it's going to be a quick turnaround for all involved. Hang in there as best you can at one and four. We'll see what happens Thursday in Chicago, but I will have another podcast this week before we get to that. But that is it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. See ya.